Boker Tov, we're at the very bottom of Moed Kotten Yud Ches Hamid Beis. We start a new Mishnah, and this from Mishnah to Mishnah is very short, so we should be able to do this all in one session today. We're still on the topic of not being allowed to write on Chol Hamoid, and I guess the fact that uh, Tony Simkover didn't send you another email, I guess he was, I guess he was satisfied with the answer. To oh. look at yesterday's class, oh. or listen to it. Okay, all right. I'm a day or two behind. So we'll see. All right. Well, Tony, whenever you have any questions, we're always happy to entertain them. Okay, so now we're going to discuss what you're not supposed to write, but under what circumstances you are allowed to write. So we start like this. Ein kosvim shtare chov b'moed. You cannot write a loan document on chol hamoed because obviously that has nothing to do with the Moed, unless vim eno mamimo, but what if the creditor does not trust the debtor, and the creditor will not lend money unless a document is drawn to prove the loan. And obviously the borrower needs the money on chol hamoed. He needs to buy food, that's one shot. Or, he may not need the money until after the umtif, but he might not be able to get a loan at that time. So therefore, then you can, uh, the document can be written on cholamoid, even in a professional manner, since the debtor would not obtain a loan without it and thus suffer an irretrievable loss. So we have two ways of looking at it. The debtor can get a loss, he won't be able to borrow money, and the creditor will have a loss he won't be able to prove that the guy owes him the money. Okay, so what's the case? The first clause, we may not write a document. It's a case which the lender trusts the borrower is prepared to lend the money without a document. Since in that case, fail to write a document would not cause the borrower an irretrievable loss. So therefore, it can't be written on Cholomoyed. Although some Rishonim maintain that a document needed to avoid a loss in one circumstance may be written in Cholomoyed in all circumstances, that rule does not apply here. Fine. But anyway, so that's that makes a lot of sense. Oh, or if he doesn't trust him, and this is really we already spoke it out, or the, we'll see, but its simple meaning is the borrower has nothing to write, to eat. <laughs> Right? So then, then you may write the document. Oh, we're talking about over here, not the borrower, the scribe. The scribe has nothing to eat. So he needs Parnassa. Right? You got to give the guy Parnassa. And uh, you, want, he doesn't, you see very interestingly here, if he doesn't have what to eat, why don't we say the following? So you don't have what to eat, so we'll give you tzedakah. So what do you see from this? The person's dignity overrides that because how could he have simcha? The whole point is to have simcha. <coughs> how does a, a cipher get simcha if he has to beg for money? So you got to give him dignity. So we'll even transgress, so to speak. Let's put it this way. The, let's say the borrower and the lender, they trust each other and they never see you have to be really, uh, what do you call it, forward-thinking in chesed. And they say, you know, I trust you that, but look, the safer there doesn't have any parnosa. He's on hard times. So let's go to him and tell him we need him to write the document for us. 
and therefore that's clandestine chesed, and the guy will be able to have watin on yontiv, and that overrides everything else. Okay, that's number one. How about writing sifre stam? What about writing a sefer Torah, tefillin, and mezuzahs to write them for the first time? What would you think the law is? Okay, depends if you need it or not. If you don't need it, we would assume the Allah will be, we'll see what happens, that only if it's necessary, someone doesn't have a muzuz in the house, or it became puzzle. Or, uh, let's say the sober doesn't have what to eat. Same idea. He has to work on that. I mean, a safer Torah, obviously, now. So let's see. So the Mishnah says, Ein kosvim svarim tfilin umezuzus b'moid. Okay, we can't write these three things on Cholamoid, even though this is what we call Melecha Shemayim, heavenly work. And even if the scribe is writing these articles for his own use and not to sell to others, he's still forbidden to write them. Now, the Mishnah refers to a case in which the Torah scroll is not needed by the public during the festival. If, however, a community needs to write a safer Torah or correct an old one, so have one available, okay, so they can do so on Cholamoid. Okay, because that's clear, because they won't have what to fulfill the mitzvah with. And what about making repairs? We may not even correct a single letter, even in a Torah scroll of Ezra. What's a Torah scroll of Ezra? was written, written from which the coin Godel read on Yom Kippur. Okay, but you don't have to do it on Cholamoyed. Or instead of the word Ezra, it's the word Azara. The safer, the fix up from a safer Azara. Okay, according to this verse, Mishra refers to the Torah scroll kept in the temple courtyard. It had a highly accurate text. It was like a codex. And it was used to correct all the other scrolls. Other Rishon explained it was used in the temple courtyard for the public Torah readings by the Kohen Godel on Yom Kippur and by the king at Hakel. Although it served a communal need, the scroll may not be corrected on Cholamoyed. Rather, one must wait until after the festival. And again, it's speaking where we don't need the Torah scroll on the festival. So, fine. But obviously, now I, I would imagine you would not um, send your tefillin to get checked on Cholamoy. And your mezuzahs to get checked on Cholamoy. Even though some don't wear tefillin on Cholamoy, it's a good time to get it checked because it's not an inconvenient. But uh, again, it's not really a Cholamoy need. And we assume your your tefillin and your mezuzahs are kosher. We've assumed for the last three and a half years they're kosher. We can wait another week to check if they're kosher or not. Now, I guess if, God forbid, you lost your tefillin and you need another pair of tefillin, okay, and there's and there are no spare ones around, maybe, if uh, mezuzah got lost, a guy stole the mezuzah from your front door, <laughs> so uh, you, I guess you could get it written because you need to do the mitzvah right then and there. Rav Moshe was very mocked to not uh, have to not have your your doors without a, a mezuzah as much as possible. I'm not talking about during checking, but he was very mocked when you move into a house 
and you're going to sleep in the house that night. Within three days. Nah, that's if you rent. It's if you rent. If you own, it's that day. So it's very mocked. You gotta, you gotta have the mezuzahs up that day. So you on a moving day. You don't end up going to sleep till about three o'clock. After all the boxes are moved in, then they go, okay, now it's time for the mezuzahs. Every door, every. Yeah. So, but so you you uh, you know you just get to take care of that the day before. You know, it's it's. You can't take, you can't take care of your clothes. So if you close and move the same day, it's all gonna be on all the day. And you don't you don't. Right, so that's a busy, it's a busy day. It's all there is to it. Unless you close the day before. Whatever, or you uh, pay somebody to help you out, just like you pay for movers. It's cheaper than paying the bridge financing. Yeah, you pay you pay a bucker. Okay, just put up my mezuzahs. Doesn't really take that long. If you have them all ready to go and you use double-sided tape, it doesn't take more than a half an hour. Anyway. Yeah, remember the days of the Talmud you didn't have at most was like three or four mezuzahs at most, right? Now you could have like thirty-five mezuzahs, whatever. Anyway, so that's what the first opinion is about filling the mezuzahs. We don't fix anything. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says it's the machlokas. He says ko save adam tefillin and mezuzahs le'atzmo. Person can write tefillin and mezuzahs for himself. To fulfill the mitzvah of mezuzah. What does that mean? He can write them for himself because he agrees that it's forbidden to write to fill a mezuzah for the purpose of selling to others. Even permitted forms of labors cannot be done a for profit. Rashi implies that only profiteering is forbidden because that is like business. One may write to fill and to give to others without payment. Now, Although writing tefillin mezuzahs is certainly a professional labor, we said that's something we're very particular not to do. Judah permits it for the sake of the mitzvah. So that's arguing on the early opinion. Okay. Some authorities seek to prove from here that the mitzvah tefillin applies on cholamoid in contrast to Shabbos and Yonta, because why would he be writing it? Others say no, that even the mitzvah does not apply on cholamoid. Rabbi Huda would nevertheless allow writing tefillin on cholamoid so that they'll be available for use after the festival, because if you can write on Cholamoid, okay, fine. By mentioning only Tefillin and Mezuzahs, why didn't he mention Sefer Torah? The first opinion mentioned all three, you couldn't. He says you can write Tefillin and Mezuzah, indicates that only these can be done and not a Torah scroll. Thus, you would agree that a scribe may not correct, write or correct a Torah scroll on Cholamoid, even for himself. Okay, again, it's interesting why would he allow you to do it for yourself unless you actually need it so i guess the only time would be if you need it for right after cholamoid and you don't have any tefillin for after cholamoid or you need it because what why would you write it for himself why would it say for write a pair a mezuzah now either someone ordered one so that's not for himself so if it's for himself, well, what does that mean it's for himself? He wants to have a spare mezuzah around? Can't say that. Must be he needs one. So I don't understand. And if somebody else needs one, the cipher can't write it? Call you Solarim's Elazar. We have to be responsible for every Jew does their mitzvahs. So it's very interesting, uh, you know, in what way is, what's the Tanakama? In other words, if he's arguing on the Tanakama, okay, um, who says you can't write them? 
even for yourself, but I don't understand where is going to be the machlokas. Either you need it or you don't need it. That's it. So what do you mean for yourself or not? Okay, anyway, that's a difficulty. Next, we move on to one other thing that are related to mitzvahs. V'toval yerecho t'cheles tzitzis. And he can spin t'cheles wool on his thigh for tzitzis. We know we have to have that blue dye. So how do you do that? Normally, you would dye it in a normal fashion. Whatever, you put it in a pot and you dye it. So the wool can be spun into thread on cholamoid. That's the first thing you can do. But not in the usual manner. First of all, you got to, with a not with a spindle, okay? But rather one, and also what you must rub the wool against one's thigh. In other words, that's how you spin it. Take the wool and go like this. And the same applies to the other threads. So Rehuda does not require that tefillin mezuzahs be written in an unusual manner. That's because it will probably make it puzzle. <laughs> the only adequate de- de- deviation of the usual manner of writing is to break up the letters. That would make them invalid. So no such thing as a shinui on tefillin, because that makes it puzzle. Okay, but when you're just spinning the tcheles wool, talking about spinning the tcheles wool, so just rub it on your thigh, and that's you could have it. And that's, I assume, even, especially if you need it. Okay, fine. That was the Mishnah. So let's see the Gemara. So that we, we have a Brysa. That's very, we're going to have a three-way Machlokes. We're going to fill in Mesusus and Sitsus on Cholomite. Number one. Kol Sevarun Tfilin Mesusus Latsma. A person can write Tfilin Mesusus for himself. And you can spin it on your thigh, the wool for the treles of strings and the regular strings. Okay. And he can do it for others as a favor and not for payment. That's adding one more clause to what was said before. Divrei Reb Meir. Reb Meir holds you can do that even for someone else. Uh, it's a favor, so you're not doing any business. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda says, you can even do it for business. Ma'arim, you make a trick. Umocher What do you do? You sell your tefillin and mezuzahs, and then, v'chose, v'chose, then write it for yourself. Interesting, uh, tricky, tricky. Okay. Now, in our mission, Rabbi Huda implied that one may write tefillin only for personal use and not to sell for others. Here, Rabbi Huda adds, you could use the subterfuge. Describe, could take his own tefillin and sell them to a customer because that's not a lot of work, just a simple sale. At that point, he doesn't have tefillin for his personal use. So now he can write a parents' one for himself because now you're allowed to have new tefillin as well. He can do this as often as he wants. Uh, he can go to the second guy and now sell him his new pair of tefillin or mezuzahs. I don't say you can do that with tefillin. That takes a long time. Mezuzahs, you can do that. would make sense. So it comes out, though Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi, whose statement follows, mention only articles that are written, tefillin and mezuzahs seems that ruling applies to tzitzis as well. So this is how you get uh, uh, around this. Rabbi Yossi, Omer Rabbi Yossi says, 
He can write and sell them in the usual manner to raise enough money for his sustenance. And this does not refer only to bread and water. It means eating yontif the way you want to with rib steaks, the way a yontif should be eaten. Biosi cannot mean that the scribe may earn money for basic staples because that's permitted by everybody. Okay, one is normally forbidden to earn money beyond his basic needs on Cholomoy. Nevertheless, Rabbi Yehuda Biosi permits it in this case since the labor is done for the sake of a mitzvah. So you got two things going on over here. Normally, if you have to work, you do it just for your staples, it appears. But he's saying since it's a mitzvah activity also, so now you can even increase that and even buy really good food. The dispute in this price apparently concerns only the writing of tefillin for sale to others. Rameer rules that this is prohibited. Yehuda permits it in the manner of a subterfuge. Rameosi permits it in the normal manner. All agree that one may write tefillin for his own use. In our mission, however, the Tanakhama prohibited the writing of tefillin even for oneself. Thus, the first time of our mission represents a fourth view which is not recorded in the Brisa. So, a lot of opinions over here in terms of what you should be able to do in terms of the tefillin. Okay, now, with all these opinions, now the Gemara has the halachic decision. So, Rav taught Rav Hananel, who was a sofer, by the way. Some say It's different for stone. Halacha, what is the halacha? He can write and sell them in his usual manner to raise enough money for his substance. We follow the opinion of Rav Yossi. So he needs to have good meals. He can sell that. In conclusion, a scribe may write for himself or to give to others without payment, for sure. He's allowed to write film for sale. Only the rosies are needed to purchase items that will enhance his enjoyment of the festival. So, therefore, let's just switch this a little. How about selling tefillin? Forget about writing them. Not too many say from here are writing tefillin, but they're selling tefillin. So could you sell tefillin on Cholomoy? So what would be the answer? I guess if A, another person does not have any tefillin, obviously the guy needs to get tefillin, or if the guy wants to make, uh, have a nice yontif meal. That would be the only two reasons. Now, you see, you got to understand, I, I, I see where this is going. You know you know where this would be Nogea? Not so much over here. There would be Nogea in Lakewood or Eretz Yisrael. Because people have off on Cholomoyed. So there's, you know, you got free time. <laughs> so person will say, okay, my son's bar mitzvah is in a, another month or so. I want to go and buy a pair of tefillin for him. So, again, there, it would seem he doesn't need it right away unless the sofa is very poor and needs to make parnasa. Then you could do that. Like you go to Meir Sharim, there's a million places where you can buy this. And uh, that's, uh, people, you know, would want to do this. So you'd have to understand, I mean, in, in, in theory, like all the stores should be closed. I remember there was, uh, I remember which uh, Jewish bookstore it was, like where I remember the guy said to me, he said, usually I'm closed on Cholomite, 
but a lot of people need stuff on Cholom so I'm open for them. I, I, I didn't think of it so much halachically at the time. He said it in passing. He said, really, I don't work on Cholom but, you know, but there's people who need things on Cholom so I'm open for them. So I guess that would be true in terms of what do they really need. Okay, so you have to, uh, and if the guy doesn't need to be open, he should just be closed. And if people, what, what does he have to offer them that they must have on Cholom That I don't understand. Unless, it, you know, it's, I don't know. It just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, see, but, see, but that, that's the point. That's what, what Cholom is for. That's the point. You know? Yeah, it is business. So I'm, so I don't know if that, you know, was a, was a proper thing for that person to do. If you, if you felt you'd be close because you don't need the money. That's what the guy kind of said. He said, I don't have to have the service open for people that might want to come and buy some. Right. But if it would be closed, it wouldn't make a difference. So they're not going to get, so they won't buy a Kogelach or a safer on a certain thing. It's closed. That, that's that whole attitude of, whoa, I got a lot of free time. Let me go shopping. That old Chazal did not want us to do that. Now, but now it's almost to the point where um, some people, I'm not going to say women, I don't want to be sexist. Some people, I don't know what to do at Cholomoy. The kids are home. The kids are home and you can't have them learn all day long, right? They want to have fun. So let's think about, let's really think about it. So what are you going to do? Remember when we had little kids and it was Cholomoy? So you take, and they had all these fun activities. Yeah, and they cost a lot of money. You know, go to Fantasy Fair. Go, go to Chudley's. You know, or go to, what's that? What's that? Chuck E. Cheese. All right, where the kids are playing those. So, you know, it costs a, a, a ton of money. It's better to go to a bookstore, buy them a, a book, and have them read it. <laughs> you know, like, is, is it any less? In, I think it's more in the spirit. If you have a kid who likes to read, so you buy him a nice Torah sensitive, you know, with good le- moral lessons now, and they read that on Cholomite. So, or yeah, it'd be better to buy clothes. You know why? Because at least you're getting something for your money as opposed to wasting the money on that. So, you know, it, the halacha has to be sensitive that we're in a really tough gullus, and the kids are not in school, and the parents are going to go nuts, and there could be all kinds of uh, family problems, uh, so to say. So then I, you, you, uh, sometimes you have to know who to relax these halachas for. But again, a smart person would be prepared before Yontif. They buy all the books before Yontif. You buy everything and that you do that. So now it just depends who's open. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't ever think of going a Cholom I don't know if Miriam's is open or Israeli source or whatever. But uh, I could see why you should be closed. But I could also see why people need need it because they, it's going to be very hard and long yanta for them. Okay. Now, the last point of the Mishnah, you rub the the thread on your thigh to make the tzitzis, but you make it with a shinui. Turn around, we learn in a brisa. Tava adam yurecha tzitzis. Your person can spin tzitzis wool on his thigh for the tzitzis. Avalo be'evin, but he may not spin it with a stone. What does that mean? 
He's not, he may not tie a stone to the end of the thread so that the thread is taut when it's spun, okay, or the stone to be used as a spindle, okay. Diver Rebeliezer, come say, no, after you can even use a stone, so it's a it's a, a little shinui, but not a big shinui. Rabbi Yehuda Omer Mishmo, and Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rev Eliezer, in other words, Rabbi Yehuda disputes the Tanakhama's version of both Rabbi Eliezer and the sages. The Tanakhama brought the first opinion, the no name of the Mishnah, said what the Machlokas was, Rabbi Eliezer, the Chachamim here. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, the Machlokas is different. But even you can use a stone, but not a spindle. You can use a stone and a spindle. Spindle means you're not making any deviation at all, because that's the normal way. And so did he say, is when you're making these tzitzis, Bain ba'evan, bain ba'pelech, either with a stone or a spindle. The halacha, and the halacha is again regarding all this. Kosev kedarko umocher kedei parnaso. Halacha is one can write fillin and mezuzas in the usual fam fashion and sell them to raise money for his sustenance. Okay. Now, the, the law that was recorded earlier was only applying to spinning threads for tzitzis, even if one uses a spindle. I don't know why we have to repeat it. We said it earlier. I don't know why this line is repeated. We just had it before when we finished the tefillin sukya. So why is it recorded again? I do not know. Okay, now we're just going to start the next sukya. got four or five minutes. This is a huge sugya. We, we alluded to it, and I said we'll come to it again. Now we're coming to it. And this is the idea of where does Shabbos and Yonta fit into Shiva? Where does it fit into Shloshim? Is it possible to have Shiva during Shabbos? Is it possible to have Shiva during Yonta? All these different things. When does it break it up? All these things. So we're just going to get a little start uh just the Mishnah. And obviously there's going to be a lot of discussion of this, so don't ask me, but we don't do that, we don't do this. This is all the opinions right now, we're just starting it. So, let's start with Hakover Esmeso Shlo Sheyomim Kodem A person buries his dead three days before a Yontif. So let's say the burial was on Sunday and the festival is Tuesday night. Oop, uh, what happened? Okay, so I just want to, okay, anyway, we were talking about the Shiva was ready three days. Why they picked three days, we'll have to see. So now what happens? Started Shiva three days before Yontif, Bokla Heimena Gzeira Shiva. The Gzeira, the decree of sitting Shiva has been nullified. Okay, and not only are they nullified, so you might think, Oh, we just stop it on Yontif and then finish it up after Yontif. You might think that. So we say, Botel, it's nullified, it's gone. Now, according to this opinion, remember, we don't hold like everything this. This is true only if Shiva began three days before the festival. 
that there's enough time to observe at least the first day three, because we know we'll see the first three days are the most intense. But Gomorrah will say later on, first three days are for bechiyah, are for crying. And that's why really people are not supposed to visit the mourner in the first three days, according to the pure essence of the law. We're not getting into psychological problems that we override that. But so now, so this Tanakama is saying, you have to at least have kept three days so the guy got a little bit of the shiva. And that's what people sometimes comment when the person was buried right before Yantif. First, I feel like I cheated out of my shiva, right? So I guess they're uh, the Tanakama's opinion over here. This says you have to have at least three days. But according to this opinion, if Shiva began less than three days before the festival, Shiva is not canceled. And the balance is after the festival. Okay, now of course, all of this is the view of our Mishnah. The Lacha follows a dissenting view that's going to be recorded on the next page, which says that it always gets, even if only a minimal amount of time was kept, it gets knocked off. The Gemara will refute this Mishnah. Okay, fine. Anyway, that's if you kept three days. What if you kept Shmona? What if you kept eight days before the Yantiv? That means seven days of Shiva, one day of Shloshim, then Baklo Haimena Xeris Shloshim. Then the decree of Shloshim has been canceled because the Shloshim began after the Shiva was over. So if that's if you have eight days. So the arrival of the festival cancels Shiva only if Shiva began, according to our Mishnah, three days. According to the dissenting view that we don't have yet, it's any amount of time. But a festival cancels Shloshim only if the Shloshim began. What? The festival cancels only if Shloshim began before the festival, as long as Shloshim began. So when did Shloshim begin? After Shiva had ended. So if at least it begins, it knocks it off. Why? Because we have a general rule. Because the sages have said, Shabbos Oila. Shabbos is considered one of the days of Shiva, although we don't keep all the fullness of that. But it doesn't cut it short, not like a festival. Regolim, holidays, Mavsikim, cut it short, and Ve'ein Olim. And they don't include in those days. Let's say the burial, according to him, says you have to have three days. If you didn't have three days, he said, okay, it might stop it, but doesn't count in with all those things. That's what they say for that. All right, we'll stop it over here. There's more to the Mishnah, but that is a good start. Okay, be well. Hey, take care. Okay, be well. Sorry, I ran away without telling you yesterday. Yeah, I imagine you had. Uh, later.